right, all right. Is anybody excited to be in church this weekend at all of our campuses? Hey, before I invite Pastor Toby, I just wanted to really just build some anticipation. Um, you know, with, with the uh, pandemic in the rearview mirror, there is still an epidemic of the enemy attacking the minds of believers, the identity of believers. And so not only do we have an expert coming to help us with mental health and anxiety and some of the other things that come with that, but also it's a friend. Right? It, it's, sometimes it's challenging to take uh, some, some hard advice from somebody, but it's so much easier when it's somebody who you know loves you and cares for you. And Pastor Toby loves and cares, not just for our family personally, been there for us as we transitioned leadership from dad to me at Faith Promise, but also walk with us with our personal lives. We've been spending all morning together talking about everything that God is doing. So I just want to build a little bit of anticipation as Pastor Toby comes up. Would you just do me a favor, Faith Promise, lean in, put your hands together right now, and welcome Pastor Toby up here. Love him so much. So I grew up in South Texas on the Gulf Coast. People say, well, you, you lived at the beach. No, it was, if you've been to South Texas, that's not much of a beach. Uh, but I grew up uh, the son of a high school coach and a elementary school teacher, which is another way of saying we didn't have any money. And so my family, uh, my brother and I, my family growing up with not much money in South Texas, we did two things. Number one, we went to the Astrodome 30 times a summer at least to watch the Houston Astros play. Why? Because it cost 50 cents to park and a dollar to get in. And we took peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And so we watched them lose at least 30 times a summer. And then uh, the other thing is we spent all of our time at the beach. I went to the beach like most people go to the park. Uh, and I'll never forget, seven years old, we had come back from Surfside Beach, the place that I grew up, and our phone rang. For some of you younger ones in here, back then we had phones, they plugged into the wall. It was crazy. Like, if you weren't there, nobody could talk to anybody. Phone rang, mom answered it. I heard her gasp, say, oh no, begin to cry. Dad came in. They began to have a conversation, and I walked in, this seven-year-old boy, and said, what happened? And they told me that... One of our family friends had drowned at the beach that day. In fact, I asked my dad later about it, later in life. He said we had six in our circle of church or family friends who died at that beach. They drowned. And I said, Dad, how does somebody drown at the beach fishing? Because they're all surf fishing in water to their knees. And I he told me about the undertow, how this unseen current could pull you out. And he said to me, son... It may be days before they find your body. He looked at me, my dad being a coach, he said, son, look at me. That's why we're always careful at the beach. Now go to bed. Seven years old, I laid in my bed. And anybody an overthinker? Anybody? Raise your hand. If you, some of you are such overthinkers, you're thinking about whether you're an overthinker right now. And I laid there, and my little brain started going, I wonder if I could drown at the beach. I wonder if, how long it'd be before they found my body. I wonder who'd come to my funeral. Now, I was seven, so I didn't understand the theology behind it, but we know that the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We move in the direction of our thoughts. 
Look at me, everybody. If you think about the possibility long enough, the possibility becomes a reality in your mind. And I fell asleep that night, tears running down my face, saying, please, God, don't let me drown. Please, God, don't let me drown. Having no idea for the next 52 years of my life, that would be the number one prayer that I pray. Oh, not drowning in water. I haven't been in past my ankles since that day. It's very irrational and very real to me. No, I, I have an anxiety and panic disorder. And for those of you who don't understand what that is, the best way I know to describe it is it feels like you're drowning. It's this wave that comes. And it feels like it's taking you under. So make no mistake today, I don't know everything, but I know what I'm talking about today. My name is Toby. I love Jesus with all of my heart. I believe the Bible is true. I ask God every day to fill me with his spirit. And I have an anxiety and panic disorder that God has set me free from, but not healed me from yet. And church people don't know what to do with me because I don't fit in the theological box of how God operates in the lives of his kids that he loves. I have discovered some things that I hope for some of you who battle in the area of mental wellness uh, will help you today. And I really hope for some of you who know someone, because you all know someone who battles this, that I could say with love in my heart, uh, you're not helping. I'm not saying your heart is not in the right place, but I wanna help you understand how people like me think and how you can be God's hand and feet in the lives of people who struggle. Is that a fair deal for everybody? Will you stay with me for a moment? I, I would say this as we begin, that the battle that I face and that so many of us face in anxiety and depression is not the battle you think it is. The battle is not being anxious. The battle is the isolation and shame that anxiety and depression bring. Make no mistake about it, the Bible is very clear. God knew what he was doing when he described your enemy as one who prowls like a roaring lion. The work of a lion, the way he captures his prey and kills his prey is he isolates him. See, when you get isolated, that little voice in your ear, anybody know what I'm talking about? It's not the voice telling you how awesome you are. It's not the replay of the highlights of your life. That voice that's telling you things like, you'll never be happy again. God has left you. That voice gets louder and louder and louder. 
So whether you battle a disorder, you've been diagnosed in the area of mental health or whether, come on, let's be honest, we live in a world that sometimes is depressing and makes us anxious. The battle at its core is a battle between the truth and the lies that we believe. We all know the passage, right? I mean, with the early service, come on, I mean, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you. But most of us fail to realize that a lie believed has the same potential and power to put us in captivity that the truth does to set us free. And I'm vulnerable to the lies of the enemy when I'm fighting for my emotional health in three areas. Number one, write this down if you're taking notes. I fight the lie that there's something wrong with God. God doesn't work in my life like he does in everybody else's life. Like the Bible isn't true for me. Go talk to anyone who is deconstructing, anyone who is a skeptic, a cynic, when it comes to things of God. And they say things like this. If God was real, if the Bible was true, then why does fill in the blank happen to people? See, we have an underlying belief, an unspoken belief. One that, I mean, we never say it in Sunday school class, but in our heart, we believe that if God is near, that our life does not have negative aspects to it, right? I mean, how many of you have ever been so beat down by life that you feel like your prayers don't get past the ceiling? How many of you besides me? Because it feels like our prayers don't get past the ceiling, yet the message of Jesus is God is not past the ceiling. He is within our reach. He is very near. Yeah, but Toby, it doesn't feel like it. Look at me. Listen to me. You need to feel your feelings. Stuffing your feelings is unhealthy. But you want to know what destructive is? It's letting your feelings be the steering wheel of your life. If you allow yourself to be driven by your feelings, you will end up in the ditch. You'll start believing things that feel true but aren't true. You will allow a lie to put you in a captivity that Jesus wants to set you free from when the message of the Bible is not that God's presence means the absence of issues, but many times God's greatest work is done in the middle of your issues. See Daniel in the Old Testament. What do you think he's praying the night before he's going to be thrown in a pit Convicted because he's more scared of not praying than he is of a lion. He's asking God to deliver him from the pit. Where does God deliver him? In the middle of the pit. We see the story right before Daniel. is one of my favorites. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're condemned to death by burning because they refuse to bow. What do you think their conversation was like? It was not, hey, guys, this is awesome. We're going to be in the Bible someday. God met them in the fire. See Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This makes Christians really uncomfortable. We have no problem with his deity, but his humanity makes us uncomfortable. See him in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I need my friends. The man's man of all men can't do it without his friends. Why do we think we can? See him face first in the dirt, begging God to not make him do what he's about to do. 
See, as believers, we jump to not my will, but your will be done quickly because it makes us feel better. But I've laid face first in the dirt, begging God, just do something. What if there's nothing wrong with God? What if he has a purpose and a plan for your life that could only be fulfilled through the challenges you are experiencing? What if you inadvertently are cutting yourself off from the only source of hope and peace in the middle of the hell you're living in? Because God doesn't feel near. Something wrong with God. Number two, and this is the one that I feel like the evangelical church in America has reinforced through the years. There's something wrong with me. If I just prayed harder, if I just believed more, if I just joined more small groups, Look, I've had more oil poured on my head than Jiffy Lube, man. Uh, I mean, if it's had the word fire or blood in it, I've gone to it. I mean, uh, and the, 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 the shame and condemnation at times we feel, I'm just saying to men, look at me, men, like, we don't like feeling weak. Like, anxiety makes me feel like a girl, which is nothing wrong with being a girl. I'm just not a girl. Right? And you start believing that, there, well, there's just something wrong with, there's a defect in me. And every well-intentioned teacher and pastor who stands on stages and leads us to believe that if we just trusted more, just quit thinking that way. People say this to me, what do you have to be anxious about? I'm like, I, it's called a disorder. I make stuff up to be anxious about. Just don't be, look, anxiety is not worry and depression is not sadness. It's not what it is. And when we lead people to believe that somehow medication is a lack of faith, or it's an indication of the work of the Spirit in our lives. Look, we put condemnation, more condemnation on people who are already feeling condemned. I love to ask, uh, my wife and I are traveling all over the country talking about this issue because I was country for country is cool. I mean, I'm, 27 years of this battle for me. Have a graduate degree in something nobody wants a graduate degree in. And I ask this question, you have a life verse and people will raise their hand and if it's not a large group, I'll ask them to call it out. And I've been in every culture in America, I'm talking about East Coast, West Coast, North, South. And, but the group is the same. Everybody says, well, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I am more than a conqueror. Nothing will separate me. These are my life verses. Those are great verses. The problem is, you don't get to pick your life verse. Your life verse picks you. Mine's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I didn't pick it, but it picked me. It's Paul talking about his life. 
He says to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. Hey, stop. Everybody look at me. Be careful what you ask for. You might get it. Be careful that your greatest blessing doesn't become your greatest burden. That you become proud about whatever you conquered because you begin to believe it has something to do with you and not everything to do with him. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So we've all heard about this thorn in the flesh. I could stack up theological books that would say to you, Here's what the thorn in the flesh is. And they'd all be very reasoned, scholarly opinions. I'll save you some time. Nobody knows. I think the Spirit did it that way on purpose because God wanted you to see your thorn in Paul's thorn. Here's my life verse. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, no. Anybody want that on a coffee cup? It'll be a mission statement for a church. Say three times, the one thing the greatest church planner this side of the cross asked for, hey, God, if you would just take this away, you know how many more churches I could plant? You know how many more people I could reach? His biggest prayer, God said, no, why? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect, not in your strength, but in your weakness. God told Paul, I'm going to use your lowlights, not your highlights. That's what's going to reach people. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Do you see that? In a culture of religion that hides weaknesses at all costs, Paul says, I'm going to boast about mine. Why? Because my goal is when I leave, Paul says, you would say, It must be God, because that dude's jacked up. You see it? So that Christ's power may rest on me. True confession. I love the fact that I'm an overcomer. I don't like overcoming stuff. I used to love it when we sang oceans. I just don't like being in water up to my neck. Let me tell you this, and I hope many of you as parents will be there on Tuesday night. I will help you. I promise you I will help you. I will give you five practical ways you can begin to connect God's power to your kids' struggles Tuesday night if you come. I promise you it will help. You will make some progress. And one of the things I'm going to teach you is that at its core, the best foundation that a child or a parent can have in the area of mental wellness is understanding their identity in Jesus. Understanding who God created them to be. You take any issue in America that we're facing and foundationally the answer is who did God create you to be? Because the only person who has the right to define you is the one who created you. I have so many 30-something year old men that come up to me these events I'll be out in the lobby on this campus today because not because I like signing books but because I like talking to you and I here's what I hear all the time my dad told me I was a loser my dad said I'd never amount to anything you know what I say to those men would say to you I'm really sorry but your dad doesn't have the right to say that about you he did not create you 
See, I was struggling about 15 years ago. I was struggling hard, and I had done the isolation thing. I wasn't doing that anymore. So I called a pastor friend, an older guy in Louisiana. I called him, and I said, hey, man, I, I can't get out of this loop in my head. I don't know what to do. He said, go to the Internet and go Google the 40 IMs. I had never even heard of the 40 IMs. He said, it's just 40 statements from the Bible about who God says that you are. He said, go write them by hand on an index card and start saying them out loud. I don't know about you, but that sounds weird to me. But desperate times call for desperate measures. I went to CVS around the corner. I grabbed a pack of index cards. I wrote every one of them out by hand, including the verse. And I sat at my picnic table in the backyard and started screaming them and throwing them on the table. See, our faith is verbal, my friends. You realize this, right? Jesus didn't say to a storm-tossed sea. He said, peace be still. We speak things into existence. That's why you need to quit being so negative. That's why you need to change the culture in your home. So I, I start using these. Anytime my wife comes home, she'd see me throwing down those cards. People would say, well, which ones did you pick? I picked the ones that are the hardest for me to believe at the moment. Like when you sing something, when you say something out loud that you don't feel is true, it's not hypocrisy, it's called faith. <laughs> and for 17 years, there's not been a place on this planet that I have traveled without those cards. They're covered in snot and tears and anger and dirt and disappointment. But they remind me of who I am when I don't feel like I am who God says that I am. There's nothing wrong with you. God is at work in your life. See, I think at its core, the biggest lie that I believe, I believe God has a plan and a purpose for me, as was said earlier today. I just always think if God is in it, then it's going to be positive progress all the time. <laughs> that God calls me to something that goes up and to the right. Sometimes I confuse God's purpose with my plan. You know what I'm saying, Zach? I mean, sometimes it's like, okay, I know God called me. I know I have a purpose. Now let me make a plan, which is a good idea. Jesus said, who's going to build a tower without making a plan? But then when the plan doesn't work, I think there's something wrong with God. I forget. It wasn't. It was God's purpose, but it was my plan. Twenty-seven plus years ago, I woke up one night and sat straight up in my bed. My wife, Micah, we've been married 38 years. She's the godliest woman I know. But she is in full rim before her head is fully compressed in the pillow. I love her, hate that about her. She is in full rim, deep sleep. I sit up, my heart starts pounding. I'm breathing fast. My hands are sweating. I start sweating. And you guys go, oh, he had a panic attack. 27 years ago, I'd never heard the word panic attack. I never, I didn't know anybody that had gone to a counselor. There was no language around this stuff. I just, thought, the only word I'd ever heard is nervous breakdown. And my family whispered about my Uncle Jimmy, great Uncle Jimmy, who had a nervous breakdown. 
took off his clothes and walked naked down the middle of town and told people he was Jesus. I wanted no part of that thing. But I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. I didn't know. But I'm a guy. I got out of bed and started walking the hall of my house because men just walk it off. I would walk and walk and walk and walk until I couldn't walk anymore. I'd lay down with my head on the sunken living room steps of my house. I had an eight-track, which again, young people, ask your folks, that was a tape thing, of Phillips, Craig, and Dean, Mercy Came a-Running. And I would play that song over and over again and beg God to do something until my heart would start pounding again and I would begin to walk. I'd walk till 5 o'clock in the morning so I could be back in bed before she woke up. I did it for 17 days. Well, why didn't you tell her? Well, if you overthink negative possibilities long enough, you become convinced of things that aren't true. But I told her she'd leave me, take my little kids with them. The church would fire me. What would I do? I mean, I was convinced this was a scenario, so I wasn't going to tell her. People would walk up to me at our church and say, Pastor, are you looking good? Are you working out? I wanted to say, no, I'm throwing up because I was. And on day 17, driving south on I-35, the major interstate through Texas, I decided I was going to run my truck into a bridge about 75 miles an hour. And she hates when I tell that story. And it's still, uh, it's hard to tell. But there's some of you in here that think, well, he doesn't know how bad I have it. I do know. I know what it's like to convince yourself that the world would be better off without you. And if God would not have given me a picture of my wife telling my little girl that daddy wasn't coming home, I would have never swerved at the last moment, but it scared me and it took me on a journey to find a counselor and to begin to kind of unwrap these layers. And I believed. I would tell Micah on good days, God's going to heal me. I'm going to fight this. I'm going to travel the country talking about my story. See, I didn't understand that freedom is not the absence of something. It is the presence of somebody in the middle of something. Nothing changed until my target began to change. The goal was not to have a panic, never have another panic attack. The goal was to tap into a power greater than myself in the middle of those moments. And some of you, like, you're not finding what you're looking for because you're looking in the wrong place. You want the absence of something, and I'm telling you, 27 years of my life, the presence of someone is better than the absence of something. On my bad days, I told her I was going to quit because the church deserves somebody stronger than me. At year 20, after we had planted our church, the church for people that struggled like me, on year 20, I wrote a book to release. I didn't want to write a book. Who wants to write a book about trying to run their truck into a bridge and all the ways you felt hurt by the church through the years. I mean, who wants to write that? But I wrote it. It's called Not Yet. And the struggle with this book, Not Yet, was the last chapter because my publisher said the last chapter needs to be good. How many of you know when somebody tells you something needs to be good? 
And I, all I could think of was a salmon fish, and it seemed like a, you know, just kind of a cliche. So I had this really awesome research assistant. Her name is Google, and I put into Google, what's another fish like a salmon fish? And I learned about a goby fish, a goby fish found only in Hawaii, begins its life in the freshwater, halfway through its life when the tide is right, starts swimming up the mountain streams off the, island, the big island of Hawaii. And as it swims up, it spends the second half of its life in the freshwater streams on the top of that, those mountains. Go look it up. This is what happens. The crazy thing is, as it gets to the waterfalls, to get to the top where it gets steep, its bottom jaw grows out. Why? Because it gives it more leverage and it literally starts grabbing rock to rock to get to the top. See, this, the heavens declare the glory of God tells us that creation that we can see shows us how the kingdom works that we can't see. And that Gobi fish is my story. The very thing I was running from is the very thing that God was using to change my life. And so we were releasing the book and doing a series and the last week of the series, I was struggling with how to end this deal. So I went back to Google and I put into Google, how do you draw a fish? True story. And I spent seven hours with a legal pad learning how to draw a cartoon fish. This is what I drew. It's this picture. Called him Toby because that's my name and it's a goby, sounded like Jesus to me. And I told the story of three principles for kids. You can do hard things because God is with you. Our kids, hey, we're raising a generation of victims, man. They are not their struggle. They are who, they say, who God says they are. You can do hard things because God is with you. Number two, you have to keep your eyes on the sun. You look at your problems, they get big and God gets small. You look at God, he gets big and your problems get smaller. And number three, you got to help others along the way. So I told the story, the church went crazy. They said, you need to write a kid's book. I said, I didn't want to write an adult's book. Guess what? A pandemic hit. And we had some time and my daughter-in-law who is a accomplished graphic artist who had a dream of illustrating a kid's book since she was a little girl. We wrote this book together, this next book called Toby the Gobi that tells those messages and it exploded all over the country. Who would have known? that the greatest need in our country and the world today for our kids is to connect them to God's power in the middle of mental health issues. And 27 years ago, I was trying to run my truck into a bridge. Don't you dare give up. God is not done with you. Lean in when it's hard. Take him at his word of he's manna, he's bread, he's enough for today. And let today be enough. Let's teach our kids in these moments how to connect to God's power because we don't have to convince them that there's a struggle out there. In fact, I want to give you today a gift. There's a QR code we'll bring up on the screen, this is the first place we've been able to do this. We've been working on it for a while, but we've given out 40 items cards with, for kids, but I rewrote them for your kids in language they can understand. And if you'll take this QR code for free, you can download and you can do what I did. I put them on my phone. You can just flip through them on your phone. I have one today that says this. I have more strength than I think I have. 
I need to remember today, I have more strength than I think I have, and so do you. And take one of these statements and make it something that you send your life in that day and you teach your kids. Like, this could be the greatest moment in the history of generations of our families. If we'll get intentional and purposeful and understand that God is at work. There's no panic in heaven about your panic or mine. God is not depressed about our depression. He is working in all things to bring good. I believe it. Do you believe it? Can I pray for you today? Can we just, I don't know how we do it here. Can we bow our heads, close our eyes, just to have a private moment? I'm not going to do anything weird. So I've been up here fighting back tears. That's my fight. How many of you raise your hand with just with our eyes closed, just a private mind? How many of you struggle at some level? If you do, just raise your hand with me. Now, everybody else, keep your eyes closed, but you guys have raised your hands. Just look around the room. Just look around. You, see, you think you're the only one. You're not. It's tons of us that struggle. What if this became the place? The first place people wanted to go when they struggled. Your journey toward freedom begins today. God is with you. Let's all stand together. I'm going to pray us out. And as we pray, some of you will want to come and take communion. Some will want to light a candle. We'll have a prayer team here. Some of you just may want to have a private moment where you are. But let's believe. I got faith for you that today could be a day that you could look back and say, my journey toward freedom began today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being an ever-present help in times of trouble. Thank you for being near to brokenhearted people. Thank you for loving us in the middle of our struggles. Thank you for using us in the not yet moments of life. Thank you for reminding us about who we are even when it doesn't feel like it. Bless these sweet people, Lord. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Give them manna, bread for today, and let it be enough. Today be enough. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.